been going through this series in Matthews, and uh, it has been fantastic. Overarching themes, I moved the water bottle out of the way, is the uh, king's, is the king. That's been the overarching theme. And we saw the king's birth genealogy in chapter one, and in two, we saw the responses to the king. And in chapter three, we see John the Baptist paving the way, make way for the king. I'm putting a timer on because keeping us within time. <laughs> and then we saw the temptation of the king in the first part of chapter four. Uh, and as we dive into this part, uh, chapter four, verses 12 through 25, we'll be looking at the public launch of the king's ministry. And uh, it has been fascinating for me to read this and, and just go back and, and take it to heart. And I want to tell you, it's amazing how things go. So as a quick side note, uh, it's been a long time since the four of us, Pastor Cleet, Pastor Mike, Pastor Nick, and uh, um, myself have been able to get together like we did. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful. And I have to take a pause for a quick second because it was actually hilarious. So if you actually want to see a comedy show, you've got to see Pastor Mike and Pastor Cleet hang out together. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they're doing all sorts of side things. I'm sorry, I had to take the side note because I almost forgot I need to talk about this. So there was an instance where um, Pastor Nick had a bottle of Coca-Cola, and uh, so he went to the bathroom. So Pastor Mike takes it and tightens it up real tight, and then he's trying to get him to open it up. <laughs> Just silly stuff like that. Or he's razzing Pastor Cleet about bouncing him on his, on his lap like a, like a little kid, and then Pastor Cleet found out that Pastor Mike loves a bubble tea, which is because of his daughter. So we, that's been the running joke about bubble tea. We actually, all four of us, we conceded and said, you know, the three of us conceded and said, Mike, we'll support you. Let's go. So we went to the mall and got some bubble tea. It actually was good, but all those strange little balls in it, I just don't. That's, it's just the, the stuff at the bottom, that is the craziest. Anyone ever drank bubble tea before? Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's, I'm a first for me. <laughs> so <laughs> and so I, I, don't, I don't even know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't really even know. I just know it was all these strange little balls at the bottom. And I thought you weren't supposed to eat them. And then Pastor Cleese like, this stuff keeps popping in my mouth. It's crazy. And other, it, anyway, it was just, it was a wonderful time of fellowship. So I just want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, those gentlemen will be back later on this evening. And we look forward to getting back to the business at hand. We come back more firm in the idea that what we're doing is what needs to be done, which is to stand in the firmness of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's good to know that there's so many other pastors and so many other churches that are, the Lord is laying upon their heart to stand their ground and to teach the truth and to trust in the sufficiency of the scriptures. So let's continue. I, sorry, I did have to interrupt that because we actually should have put a video on that because those two together is the funniest thing ever. So, again, uh, we are continuing with uh, the Matthew series. And, again, I've already given a, a piece of this. But, basically, we are talking about the king's public ministry launch. And there's different debates on, you know, when it could have occurred. But this is specifically um, when he actually proclaims and preaches right in line with what John the Baptist's marching orders were. And it continues, and there's no holding back from this point all the way to the cross. You know, a consistent theme uh, we see 
in all of this is that the king came to the world on his own terms, uh, which is according to the Father's will, not ours. But we live in a world where the world is saying, hey, listen, it is not God's terms, it's our terms. And, you know, we've said it before, and, and I, you know, I, didn't quote, I didn't make this up. Someone else did it far more wiser than me that we keep uh, deifying, you know, we keep deifying ourselves. Uh, and we keep humanizing Jesus. We keep bringing, and we have to be utmost cautious about that, no matter who it offends. And so, you know, the king made it known in the Old Testament what the Father's will is. I mean, it, they had plenty to know. They could have gone to the Jewish people who anticipated the Messiah, expected him to be based on the Old Testament prophecies, right? The Messiah would be a Hebrew man, Isaiah 9.6, born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14, a prophet akin to Moses, Deuteronomy 18.18, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110.4, a king, Isaiah 11, the son of David, Matthew 22.42, who suffered before entering his glory, Isaiah 53. They had everything they needed that was sufficient to know who this king Jesus was when he was arriving in the flesh. The time was now. His public ministry had begun leading all the way to the cross. He began his preaching ministry fully in line, as I said, with the message of John the Baptist on the kingdom of heaven. He inaugurated his public ministry at Nazareth on the Sabbath day. You remember that exchange in Luke 4, which is pretty awesome. Uh, have you ever seen that show, uh, The Chosen? Anyone ever seen that before? And they just, did a, uh, they just did a piece on that part. It was pretty awesome to just see how they just align with the scriptures and show it. It was a pretty fantastic interaction. But in Luke, you know, he came to Nazareth, and when he had been brought up, and his custom was he sent into the synagogue, was went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, Isaiah 61, 1, 2, 3, prophecy of his work to Israel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them were in the synagogue were fasted, fasted on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Imagine that. Imagine that. The son of Joseph is sitting back telling everyone, on this day, the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Imagine how they reacted. Imagine if a friend of yours <laughs> sat down and said this how you would react. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him onto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, and they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. You know, it's easy to read those pieces and think, oh, man, he just snuck out. We have to remember this is an almighty God. This is not some man trying to sneak out and, oh, I got away this time. When it's time, he will allow it. When it's not time, 
There is nothing you can do to King Jesus. Again, that gives us confidence in that truth. He passed through because it was the Father's will that he would do that. Therefore, whatever they attempted to do was not going to happen. But again, the problem with the Israelites is they continually glorified themselves. And it reminds me of the time we're in now, just when you know, Brother Brian and, and, and Brother John were leading about you know, living out our faith in the workplace. And you know, all of this stuff we see in society today reeks of one thing. We are trying to be our own gods. We are self-glorifying and then pushing God, kind of giving him the Heisman and pushing him to the side. This is why today, talking about the king's ministry and its launch and what it does for us, what it has done for us, and what we anticipate in his return is so huge. I call today the king's ministry, and there's three parts we want to pay attention in the king's ministry. One is the king's requirement, the king's call, and the king's authority. So repeat after me again. The king's requirement... The king's call, the king's authority. And the way this broken up is 12 through 17 is the king's requirement. King's call is 18 through 22. And the king's authority is 23 through 25. Now, I know on the paper it had king's ministry as the third part, ministers. Just cross that out. Um, in the middle of a 2.30 night, <laughs> 2.30 in the morning run last night, something hit me as I was reviewing and it said, I got to change all that. And, and I'll tell you why as we get to that part. I just crossed it out and put King's authority. So that's right, Vincent. It's all about Jesus. So the King's requirement, 12 through 7, 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went up, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, very key there. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he left Nazareth and journeyed to live in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. That specifically leads Matthew to say Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies. Prophecies of chapter 9, 1 through 2, and Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah 42. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. There's an area of this king's requirement we're going to pay most attention to, and that is the king is the light. The king is the light. And this was talked about in the Old Testament as we just went over. The light, the light, just keep that in mind. So the question is, where the king is, what's the big deal about this area? What's, a, what's such a big deal about it? Well, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, the region of Galilee, is where Jesus withdrew into, was a kind of borderline culturally. It was neither fully Gentile nor fully Jewish. If you read the history of this region in the Old Testament, you aren't surprised that it would be symbolic of a region of darkness. King Solomon tells, 
this region at one point to a pagan king, Hiram. And it's described there as Kabul, meaning worthless. Later in 2 Kings, this region is several times plundered and conquered by the Assyrian kings, bringing captivity and tragedy. Now it borders, now its borders are of Jews and Gentiles, a land of darkness, which is stated in Isaiah 9. It's happening when Judah is being harassed by Gentile nations. Leaders from surrounding nations, you remember this, are joining the leaders with inside Judah to try to force King Ahaz of Judah to join an alliance with the Assyrian against the Assyrian kingdom. And in Isaiah 7 and 8, they were warned that God is going to bring Assyria to invade the southern kingdom, Judah. Judah is under judgment because her people are listening and obeying false gods, like demonic mediums and spiritualists inside of the Lord, instead of the Lord. So the warning, if you refuse God, you will not see light, but only darkness. As Isaiah 8.22 puts it, darkness, gloom of anguish, distress. They will be driven into darkness. This is because there was an intent by the people to reject the very sovereign God. But because he loves us so much, Isaiah 9 promises a light will dawn. And Matthew tells us that this light is the Messiah, King Jesus. And just like Judah back in Isaiah's day, Israel has become like a pagan nation. And so this light will come not in Jerusalem, but in Galilee of the Gentiles. See, it means the light has come for the world. And that light is King Jesus. The arrival of Jesus is exactly as he spoke of in John 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me ask you, what does light do? What does light do? Yes. What else? I mean, that says it all, right? <laughs> Don't need to say anything else. It illuminates. It shines on. Whatever that light's pointed at, it's going to show details. It shines on, and whatever it's pointed at, it reveals. It points out. So Jesus as the king, ushering in the kingdom of heaven by revealing our darkness. He is the light revealing our darkness, which is what separates us from God and curses the ground. The king shows us that we are sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It shows no matter what culture you are, Jew or Gentile, Black or white, Korean or Malaysian, that we're all guilty. You know, our propensity to one moment be nice, and in that same niceness, we could curse someone out, or we can have a, a lustful thought, or a murderous thought, a thought that's not on to God, is what separates us from God. So our finger pointing 
and telling ourselves that we're basically good people is a lie. Our finger pointing and telling us, no, not God. I don't want your God, but it's how I want to glorify myself is a lie. You know, it's my, the way I want to see my gender, even though I clearly have a certain gender that <laughs> related to being a male or female, I'm going to say it's different. That's a lie. When you truly come to Jesus, and this, it always sticks on me. He performs an Ezekiel 36, 25 on us. And we forget that. He says, I will take your heart of stone, and I'll make it a heart of flesh. I mean, a heart that beats for him. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to follow my statutes. God will do the work in you and cause you to follow the statutes. This is what King Jesus is doing as the light. We are an enemy of God, and we are hellbound without repentance in Jesus. And I think that's something where it's so hard for us to talk about is being hellbound. We don't want to talk about hell. I remember one time I talked to friends, like, there's no such thing as hell. I, was like, I went back and said, hey, here's a whole list of scriptures for you. Oh, okay, and they just walked away. <laughs> we don't want to talk about hell because we have to talk about hell then we have to talk about that maybe the way we want to see things is not right. That maybe it's a lie. As one commentator put it, and he came to banish the darkness, he didn't come only to shame and show and uncover the deeds we've been doing in the dark and then judge us for them, but to banish them. He came to bear the curse of them himself. He came to rescue us, not to crucify us. Jesus is not like the accuser who reveals in shaming us, but a loving father who uncovers our shame that he might deal with it. And that's huge. I think we can forget that in our flesh when we're trying to witness to someone and tell someone the truth. We worry about how they're going to respond. And we forget that. How do we respond when we first heard it? I rejected it many times throughout my life. Only by his grace did I finally say, hey, I am a sinner, God. I need you. Do your work in my heart, please. Jesus is continuing the message from John the Baptist. Repent because you are in sin. And through Jesus, you are eternally cleansed. And as he is ushering in the kingdom of heaven, that will remove the curse of sin. And make everything right. And anytime we forget that, we can always go back to Genesis and what actually happened, right? What actually happened? We were blameless. We were blameless. He gave us do's and don'ts in his economy. In God's economy, there are do's and don'ts. There are. I think that's, that's very hard in our flesh to accept. We hear people, I don't, wanna, I don't like this part of God. In every part of his economy, there's a submission aspect onto the way he says, not the way we want to do things. So it's not just a wife submitting to a husband. It's a husband and wife submitting to Jesus. And in each of their roles, they must carry out according to his commands. Uh, He calls us to submit to the governing authorities. He calls us, he called Adam and Eve in the beginning to submit to him. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. If you do this, you will surely die. And the reason why I bring that up is because What King Jesus is doing here as the light 
is he is living out and carrying out the Father's plan from the beginning of time to take what was destroyed by us. Because remember, everything was created, and then man was created last, and our job was to oversee all of that. And then because of our sin, everything that was created that we're supposed to overlook is now cursed. So that's why in the book of Romans it says, all the creation groans. They look forward to a renewal, a time where Jesus will make all that was cursed because of us, he will make it right again. So this part of, of, his, of the journey of him preaching and this part of him being the light is moving towards that point. Then for him to die on the cross and now secure a place for us in heaven. And then now the walk of sanctification starts where the Holy Spirit starts to do a work on us. The very righteousness that Jesus imputed to us now starts to work in our hearts, drawing us more into Christ's likeness. And then when he returns, just like him, a new resurrected body, a new heaven and earth, all that was done wrong because of us will be done right through King Jesus. And part of what he's doing here leads right to that. Let me ask you, what does the light reveal in your life? What does the light reveal in your life? What you struggling with? What are you struggling with? You know, as we talked about earlier, there is a danger. I, I, like, I like working out in the world and being challenged with that. But there is a danger if I'm not armed up with God that I will submit to the world, and I will bring that back into the local church. There's a danger on that. And your vocation could be here in the local church, and you can still do the same thing <laughs> in the world. There's a danger. So what are you struggling with that you need to take to King Jesus? You know, I, I will gladly admit that as an African-American, I struggled with the great things that had happened over these three, 400 years. And it was not until I read the book of Isaiah that... Um, God clearly showed me that it's I who raised someone in the east, and it's I who am in control. And my eyes got wide open, and I was like, whoa, Lord, what are you saying? But he showed me that he was in charge, and that he will right all wrongs. So then now when I look at another brother, regardless of whether they are my skin tone or not, it is not about that. Yes, I noticed it. I noticed my white brethren. I noticed my Asian brethren. But we're Christians first. We are now part of, we are a new creation. We are a new people group. A Christian who happens to be African American. A Christian who happens to be Samoan. A Christian who happens to be Korean. A Christian who happens to be a white American. That is secondary, not primary. And I see that in the church body, so many people are struggling with the injustices they see, and they're trying to right the wrong themselves. Or they look at what's happening in the church and see some of the brokenness, and they'll look out in the world and see the brokenness, and they'll turn to the, the world's way of dealing with things and bring that back in the local church. God has already taken care of us. We've got to trust in him. Trust, trust and obey, for there's no other way. I move on. So as we approach the light, we have to consider the call. That is uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And there's three areas 
that uh, we're going to point out in the call, and that's the immediacy of things, how we're called to be fishers of men, and the cost, okay? And so we're going to move quickly through this part, the immediacy. The light has come into the world, that's King Jesus. It's displayed on the borderlands, Galilee of, of the Gentiles. It spreads to Decapolis, a circle of ten Hellenistic cities to the east of the Sea of Galilee, Gentile Jewish region, as well as to Jerusalem, Judea, and all Syria and beyond the Jordan. The king calls Simon and Andrew, James and John. Matter of fact, James and John were with their father Zebedee, called them from their father's business. And what do they do? They immediately drop everything. He called them. God, the Spirit prepared their hearts. That Jesus called them. And what did they do? Immediate. It doesn't seem like, Jesus, let me go take care of things. Let me go settle this. and so. Immediate. You know what that immediacy shows? It shows a trust in God that whatever else that you need to take care of, it's going to get taken care of. That's very important. I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I can be, oh, I got to take care of it. I got to take care of it. Jesus will take care of this. Pray about it. Move forward. Take care of what Jesus calls you to do first. That's primary. The other stuff will be taken care of. Jesus loves you. So if you got family to take care of, they'll be taken care of. Sure, you may have to walk that out, but you don't skip Jesus and go take care of it. You go to Jesus, do what he calls you to do, and through that, your family will be taken care of. Trust in him. The immediacy is that when Jesus calls, we trust and obey. Don't worry about the other stuff. You see, fishing was a major industry in Galilee with a connected sub-industry of fish salting. So at a time of social turbulence in Galilee, these two related industries supported each other and remained steady. The willingness of the disciples to forsake such stability is quite remarkable. Economic stability is no longer their chief purpose for working. Yet even here, we must be cautious because Jesus did not reject earthly vocation of these men, but reorients it. He reorients it. Not everyone is going to be called to drop everything in terms of drop your job and move on. Some may, but both are still called to now reorient their thinking in their hearts towards Jesus. So whether it be their job out in the world or their job here within the local church, it's all through Jesus. Same reorientation. Jesus calls them to be fishers of men, thereby affirming their former work was an image of the new role for which he is calling them. The challenge for us is to resist the temptation to make work our defining element of our sense for who we are. And you can do that whether vocation is in the world or in the local church. That's why we must focus on Jesus first. When the king calls, Scripture shows a response of immediacy. This is the calling from the almighty king. This is not some invite to some worldly pleasure. This is an invite to live a transformed life through repentance and faith in King Jesus and the king's Holy Spirit doing a work on your heart. The light is revealed. It displays on blast the sin. Then we're called to repentance. 
we drop our former orientation in sin and immediately take on a new one of righteousness in Jesus. I'm repeating that because I feel it's essential for us to remember we are reoriented now to Jesus by the work of the Spirit. And we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So fishers of men, this is, this is uh, huge. It's something that hits me because when we're called, we're not just called. We're called on the Jesus, and then we're called to go call others. <laughs> and that seems to be the part where I feel like in our westernized civilization, we, struck, we struggle the most. We stop at the church part. We stop at everything else. But the part that's the finishing work is the part where we've accepted Jesus by his grace and the changing of our heart. We've repented and put our faith in Jesus. Now we go tell others. Just like the woman at the well. She went and told others immediately. And that becomes the last thing we want to do. We have to remember that we have been reoriented. A work, a mighty work has been done in our hearts. And that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must focus on that. And everything else will come together. We are disciples of the king called to go and make disciples. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, this is a common theme with God. You can go back to Exodus 19.6, and he told the, that the nation of Israel would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They were going to be a light in a dark world. But since you know how that went, and Jesus says, I'm going to come do it myself. I'll take care of it. Jesus is now calling for his disciples to do the same thing. The king, you know what he's doing? The same thing he was originally was going to do with the nation of Israel. He's building a nation of believers. No matter where we are in the world, when you're called through repentance and faith in Jesus, now we're all reoriented to the same Jesus by the same work of the same Holy Spirit. We are a new nation of believers. And our heavenly home is what we look forward to. We don't have a home here. And so we are now that light. And, you know, part of that is there's a cost that goes along with this, too. <laughs> and I think we've already discussed it. But when we are called, everything else gets put aside. I don't know about you. That's hard. That is hard. You have your moments where you feel like, oh, I was able to do it for two minutes. <laughs> it's hard. Thank goodness it doesn't depend on us, right? Luke 14, 25, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So that everything is directed through Jesus, not you. He's glorified. I always think about that because I have to think about when I deal with my own mother, my own family, my coworkers, neighbors, that when I'm struggling in my flesh and I want to do something to please them their way and I know it flatly goes against King Jesus, I got to think about this verse and pray that the Spirit would do a work in me that their ways must die, but Jesus' ways must be first. I have been reoriented. So then it becomes easier. I'll never forget when I was going on a work trip and I took an Uber from work uh, from home to the, um, to the airport, 
I'll never forget this guy, and I've mentioned this before, but it always stands out to me. This young guy, he was just chatting me up, and then finally he just said, so where do you go to church, man? <laughs> I mean, we weren't even on that topic. So it, it wasn't even a matter of I'm going to try to smoothly transition it. He was on fire for the Lord. He just, where do you go to church? What do you believe? Before we knew it, we knew some of the same people. We knew about Acts 29, you see all this stuff. And we were praising the Lord. The Lord had brought us together. We can encourage each other. But I left in tears going, that's exactly what the Lord wants me to do. I have been reoriented. I've seen the light. I've come to the light. I've accepted the light by the grace of God. Now I go tell others to bring them to the light. In Matthew 7, 13 through 29, Jesus warns you are either against him or with him. Those are hard things. to. <laughs> you're either with me or you're against me. We're either slave to our sin or we're slave to Christ. There is no in-between. Even though sometimes in this flesh it feels like we're free, we're actually not free. Let's remind ourselves, we're not free. I'm not free. When I walk out the doors, my flesh is going to go, go do this, go do that. The Spirit's going to say, no, go do this. And it will look very on point to what we see in the disciples and the prophets before us. Let me ask you this. Actually, before let me ask you, let me remind you of this. In Mark 10, Jesus says that he'll return he returns far beyond what we renounce. Let us be encouraged that we renounce our father, our brother, our house, our lands, our vocation, or the approval of men as first priority. He says we'll receive back a hundredfold. It might not be in this time, but when Jesus says it, it will happen. He will return accordingly. So let me ask you guys this. Several questions all around the same thing. We talk about yielding to Jesus and the cost. Does your money kneel to the king's call? Do you lead your family to kneel to the king's call? Does your sexuality kneel to the king's call? Does your emotions yield? Kneel to the king's call. Does your intellect kneel to the king's call? I don't know about you, but all those things can get in my way. All right, we're going to bring in our home here. The king's authority, verses 23 through 25. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by the demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. You know, it's, it's so easy. I could read these things and just be like, oh, he healed people and so on. And and same thing, you'd be there, oh, Jesus healed. And later on, be like, ah, he healed people and so on. It's like same thing, whether you were there personally or you're reading it in the Holy Scriptures. 
you realize that no one else on the face of the earth could do that. So he wasn't a regular man. When he was preaching, and we'll get to that, he preached like they had never heard before. When he taught, he taught things that they had never, like they had never heard before. And when he healed people, he healed, and no one had ever seen anything like that before. What did that show? His authority. It confirmed King Jesus is King Messiah that was already talked about in the Old Testament. His authority. The king was not a regular man. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This God came out of heaven to save a wretched people that deserved nothing. And didn't come down boasting, I'm equal with the Father. But instead, on point, these people have to be reoriented from their sin. They have to be saved. They need the light. They're in darkness. They're in a dungeon. The king reveals his authority as God. And in Mark 1, 21 through 28, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Scribes, reading the scripture, he is the scripture. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. <laughs> He's the unclean spirit. I know who you are. That would be an interesting conversation. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into convulsions, and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Even the unclean spirits know who the king is, and they obey him. What does that tell you? At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Listen. This King Jesus has the authority. He's got, or as you say, he's got the bank account to spend. <laughs> he has paid for wretched people and redeemed us. And throughout all of this, he has shown his authority. We, so that we might be more confident in the very thing we claim to have. This is why pursuing the scriptures and all the means of grace at disposal, whether it be the worship music, Bible study, preaching of the word, encouraging each other, rebuking each other, all those things are so important. Because what do they do? No matter where you are in the world, everyone is being what? Focused on one king, King Jesus. So the king's ministry has the requirement Come to the light, the call. 
which is the immediacy and the cost. And he definitely has the holy eternal authority. This should give us great hope, but not just some mystical hope, because this really happened. Therefore, our hope is an assured hope, not something that we're guessing on. And each one of you, if you really have repented of your sins and put your faith in this King Jesus, you have a walking testimony inside of your body right now, the Holy Spirit. You have all the proof you need. You might not know everything about the scriptures. You won't need to. Oh, yes, we train up. And yes, we get more confident and more bold to give an account of why, why we believe what we believe. But right now, what you have is sufficient to get the work done that the Lord has called you to. Be confident that what we hope, there is a holy, sanctified assurance of it. So we walk out this building with confidence going, it is King Jesus, it is King Jesus, it is King Jesus. And we do it unashamed. Let's pray. Father, I praise your holy, 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 holy name. The creator, the sustainer, the alpha, the omega, the great I am. The one who knows every hair on our head. The one who knitted us in our mother's womb. The one who tells us, I created you to glorify me. The one who says, I love you. The one who gave us King Jesus. The one who gave us the light. You're the one who does a mighty work in us, Father, and calls us to the light and transforms us and reorients us to be as we originally were intended to be. A blameless people group unto you, glorifying you. I lift up every man, woman, and child here that we would do just that that words would penetrate their hearts, transform them, grow them, give them a greater desire for you. Thank you for your almighty, holy, holy, holy word and the work on the cross and for all the means of disposal you give us to transform us more in your son's likeness. We lift these things up in your son's matchless, matchless name.